This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. It's Tuesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 105 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott and as always I'm joined by Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. All things considered, good, thank you. Been a lot of, been a day of spring cleaning in the Baxter household today. And when we get on to the game at Tynecastle, you'll find out why I want Abney to do a little bit of that themselves uh, at the end of the season. Delightfully done, Gav. Delightfully done. Um, Thank you. Segways. <laughs> in a week that saw Charlie Mulgrew spend time at the Scott Brown Appreciation Society on Thursday night and then fuck up on Saturday afternoon. Maybe might have been better off in training on Friday morning, Charlie. Just a thought. That saw Mark Birigitti add another howler to his collection of calamities this season. And that saw Jim Goodwin bemoan the easy-to-sort defence once again. That's right, it's all about Dundee United this weekend. It's another busy one on the ABZFP as we take a look back over Saturday's defeat at Tynecastle, which throws the battle for third wide open. Once again, we'll check in with the young team, the Quines, and our remaining loanies in Lone Watch. And after the break, it's another episode of the GMC and we preview the visit of the Paisley Saints to Pataudry on Wednesday evening as we do look to seal up that third spot. But first, Hearts 2, Aberdeen 1, Saturday the 20th of May 2023, Tynecastle Stadium in the Cinch. Three changes to the starting lineup for Barry Robson after the 0-0 draw with Hibbs last time out. Connor Barron, Jaden Richardson and Marley Watkins all coming in for Ryan Duncan who dropped to the bench and a combination of injuries and illness meant that Hayden Coulson missed out and as expected, Duke with that hamstring injury. Ross McCrory unable to get himself back fit for this one and with Graham Shinney still missing the Dons down to the bare bones here. Patrick Mislovic returning to the bench. Johnny Hayes continuing to captain the side on what was his 300th start for the Dons. But it was the away side with the brighter start. Watkins playing in the office on six minutes, but he was crowded out before being able to get a shot away before Hayes was into Kevin Clancy's little black book after just 11 minutes for a slightly late challenger order, shall we say. Shankland with Hearts' first effort on goal in 14 minutes, but his effort stopped well by Roos before Oda picked Hayes pocket as the Irishman dithered on the ball. Thankfully, Oda choosing to shoot at the near post rather than cut back for Ginelli, and Roos stopped well. Watkins then sent away on a counter on 18 minutes, his effort well stopped by Clark before Shanklin shot over a couple of minutes later. Ramadani also pulling a shot wide in the immediate aftermath as the game swung from end to end. Huge shouts for a penalty from the Dons on 22 minutes as Watkins appeared to be bundled over in the box by Haring. 
And after a VAR check, well, nothing doing. More on that later. Just after the 30-minute mark, the Dons took the lead. A fine corner from Clarkson swung in over the top of Clark and Pollock out-muscled Sibic to rise highest and nod home his second of the season. Both of those, of course, coming against the Jambos. Hearts nearly with a goal straight back. Scales with a last-minute block from Cochrane before Roos had to block the follow-up. The Dons' defence standing up doggedly to the onslaught from the home side. And Matty Pollock should have made it too, though, on 40 minutes. Hayes free kick, evading everyone in the box, bar a diving Matty Pollock, and he steered his header wide. Basically, it would have been a carbon copy of the goal he scored against Hearts earlier in the season. And just as though it looked, the Dons were going to make it through at halftime in the lead. Ginelli picked up the ball 25 yards from goal. His curling effort pinged in off the upright into the top corner. Kelrus completely helpless on that one. Halftime, 1-1 into the second half. And it was Hearts who started much the brighter, clearly taking a big bounce from that late goal by Ginelli. The home side were then in front of 56 minutes. Cochrane finding space on the left. His early ball in was then flashed home by Shanklin, who'd got the run on scales to fire in from close range. After that... It was all the home side. Mackay going close before the Dons made a triple switch on the hour mark. Duncan, Jack McKenzie and Shaden Morris coming on for Barron, Hayes and Angus McDonald, who was suffering from a sickness bug. The Dons finally forced some action at the opposite end of the park on 70 minutes. Miofsky getting a shot away before Mercandy came on for Watkins on 79 minutes. Forrest should have sealed the points for Hearts in the 84th minute. His side foot effort from the penalty spot inching just wide before the Dons made their final change. Alfie Babbage on for Ilba Ramadani on 87 minutes before time ran out in the capital. The Dons falling to a second defeat in our last three. The gap now two points with two games to go. Hearts at Ibrox on Wednesday and then at home to Hibs on the final day with the Dons up against St Mirren in midweek and at Parkhead on Sunday. On the day of front, possession 61% to the home side, 39% for Aberdeen. Shots 30 to 9. Shots on target 8 to 4. And expected goals of 2.54 for Hearts to 1.01 for the Dons. So, gents, we highlighted it in the preview last week. Um, our record at Tynecastle is generally fucking garbage. That now makes it four wins in our last 21 visits to Tynecastle. May 2017, still the last time that we won in Gorgie. With injuries and the doubts we had over our squad coming into the game, a defeat wouldn't necessarily have been a surprise, I don't think. Um, and that's exactly what we got. But it's maybe the second half performance in particular that's the biggest concern. Uh, first half, I thought, although the game was pretty open, it was a decent performance in the whole. And if we go in that halftime, still that goal up, the game maybe pans out slightly differently. I know this isn't at all answering your question there, but um, I don't think we're going to see Paddy Mislovich next year, guys. I'm going to throw that one out there. I think it's unlikely. What is it by Robson rates him highly, but never plays him? Is he going to be like the next fit Valenta? <laughs> is he is he maybe too good for us? Because uh, yeah, if you're uh, not featuring or even being considered as an option, then uh, we'll see you next time. Um, it was a weird, weird game in a lot of ways. The first half, I thought we started the first five or ten minutes brightly, and then we became quite slack and in possession and out of possession parts you know we're dominating but we we got through it and then we we did what we talked about last week as far as playing hearts especially at time castles just weathering that initial storm and then you know trying to uh, take the sting out of the game and if you can get a goal ahead then then great then the data would imply that they're gonna they're gonna struggle and uh, we get that goal from the set piece uh from mighty pollock and you think well we're we're in a commanding position here now I I recall preparing my halftime tweet because, of course, Gary was unavailable to take on the Twitter duties 
on account of being in Edinburgh for Beyonce. And we, I, I was thinking like the big thing, if we can get to halftime 1-0, then that'll go a big way, a long way to us uh, going on getting the win here. And then, of course, you know, Janelli finds himself in the middle of a, a square of Aberdeen players. And when a player sticks one top corner from 30 yards, you're, you can say, you know, why is no one picking him up? But also you just have to sort of doth your cap and say that's a hell of a strike. I did remember thinking when it went in, like, has Kelrys done everything he could to save that one? But I think that might be a little bit harsh. I think that's on the harsh side there, Gav. I, I, was, I, just, I just thought, like, could he, like, extend... It sort of looks the way he like a, falls looks like he's just got hands up as in he's in surprise. It's, kind, it's a little bit like if you put gloves on a T-Rex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, has done every now and again, but I, yeah, I think with the benefit of looking at it a couple I think of times, it's, it's uh, just the way the replay when it shows him I sort of on his way down. It looks like he's like that, but yeah. I'm not really sure. Well, I'm not of the opinion that uh, we should be yeah, booting uh, yeah, for that I, one. I'm certainly not. I mean, Keldus had a, a good game, all things considered. Um, no chance with that goal or the second. Um, and then, yeah, the second half points, we just we just never got going. And then, you know, they concede a really painfully easy goal to to win the game. And we just never looked like we were going to get back into it. And it, um, that second half, I think, exposed just how we've got numbers in our squad for sure but when it comes to strength and depth it's just it's just not there and uh yeah disappointing that we've not come away with at least a draw given that we went one nil up but um i think what's maybe important to remember is that it is still it is still in our hands but yeah it was disappointing yeah pretty much gavin said um i know our record's not great there but when we went one nil up i actually thought well we'll see that until half time and yeah. i was pretty confident actually with the way this team has been defending we might not get another one because we've not really been scoring a great load of goals without maybe Duke uh, and the way the game is bound to go you know what Hearts were going to do and it'd be difficult to you know we would get penned in that's kind of always what happens but I did actually think worst case scenario we'll get a point out of this and that would be a pretty good outcome um, you know the the equaliser, like Gavin says, there's not much you can do about it. Obviously, you can point to where we lose the ball or pressure, etc., etc. But if someone pings around from that distance, I think you just got to say that's kind of why everyone likes football because stuff like that can happen. Um, but the goal we lost by um, is really disappointing. I mean, it's not quite Goodwin-esque in terms of its hilarity, but it is pretty frustrating. It's not really the kind of goals we've been conceding um, under, under Robson and Co. So it's a bit frustrating to... Like if you, if you lose the game to that Ginelli goal, yeah. you know, well, that's one of these things. There's nothing you can do with that. But losing the the second goal we did in the way we did is a bit frustrating, actually. So, yeah, still the ball's in our court, as it were, but obviously it's not quite as uh, relaxing an end to the season as it could have been. I, I saw people being critical of the first half performance as well as the second half. I quite enjoyed the first half, actually, because it reminded me of the sort of peak Jimmy Calderwood, like really dogged, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's throwing their body on the line, kind of defending, even in our, in our penalty box, even in our six-yard box. And then you get that that goal from um, from Pollock. You know, Xander Clark does us a big favour once again. And then I guess it's just the story of like, the last couple of years, like, the critical moments you know, we don't come out on top. You know, if Matty Pollock scores that diving header, which you know could have been a carbon copy of the goal at Pataudry, we go 2-0 up, you know, game completely changes. And then 
you know, the, I think um, even though Graham's maybe saying it's not equally hilarious as some of the peak glass, peak Goodwin, it's the, the second goal for Hearts. It's like the antithesis of how we've been defending recently in that there's yeah. just no intensity and it's just, it's so easy for Hearts to score. And yeah, like I say, we just we just never got going again. And that's that's two weeks in a row where we've put in pretty substandard performances. Yeah, we'll come on to the the the, the goals in a minute or two. Um, let's just go right to the start. The starting eleven, I think, all week I think everyone was pretty sure Duke wouldn't make it. And being honest, me myself personally, I'm okay with us focusing his return on the St Mirren game. Um, I think that we probably always said if we dealt with our home games in this um, post-split run, we'd probably be okay. And I think that still is obviously the case. Um, so focusing and allowing Duke to recover in time to play St Mirren on Wednesday hopefully will be the gamble that's worth taking. Um, it seemed touch and go about McCrory. There was also huge doubts about whether Angus McDonald was going to make it or not. Um, I know that the, the team were working quite heavily on Jack McKenzie on the left-hand side of a back three with Scales and Pollock through the week. Um, so McDonald obviously made it, but clearly suffering still from a sickness bug and had to be withdrawn on, on the hour mark. Um, Wilson appeared to have been withdrawn late in the morning. That also meant a return. Now, whether it, this would have happened anyway, I'm not sure, but it did mean that Jane Richardson returned. Um, Barry Robson's obviously been listening to you, Gav. He took Ryan Duncan out of the team for for Connor Barron, with Marley Watkins then replacing Duke up top. So it's a it was a first start in the league for Richardson since the three two defeat to Rangers in December. First start for Barron since the two one defeat to Kilmarnock on the twenty eighth of December. Personally, um, having watched the game back again today in its entirety, I thought Richardson and Barron were both horrendous. Um, how much? And I, I hate to go in two foot on on individual players. I really do, but. How much of that do you think you put down to lack of match time for either of them? And uh, do you think, or and I can see Gavin's already starting to size himself up, ready for this one? Or are we now at the point of no return? Um, certainly with Jaden Richardson. Um, I so I said last week, leading into this game, that I was all for giving Richardson another chance and seeing if there was anything there. There isn't. <laughs> yeah, it, stick it would... a fork in it. This experiment is done. Um, he was bad. He has given Barry Mackay probably the easiest 90 minutes he'll have in his entire career. Um, my take on Richardson is that he is now, he's got way too much to learn to become a good right back, right wing back for a club like Aberdeen. And the stakes are too high at Aberdeen for us to be the club for him to learn those skills at. And the thing, other thing is like, if it was just a case that he was a bad defender, but he was an excellent attacking fullback, yeah. then, you know, you could maybe take it with, you know, you could take one thing and just say that, well, you're going to have to sacrifice one for the other. Um, but the thing is, he doesn't even offer a real attacking threat. He doesn't even like seem to like even want to try and get forward. And if he does, you know, it all reminds me of is the chat with our friend from Notts County who said that, yeah, Jaden will get himself in good positions, but he can't cross the ball to save his life. So, um, yeah, I know we've sunk some money into this kid. Two years left on his contract, but all I can see if he sticks around is a number of loan spells to English lower league teams where the Wikipedia entry, the clubs get smaller and smaller with every loan spell. I would dare say that we now just need to, you know, part our losses, take the hit and call it a day on this one because this guy's not got a future at Avenue. Graham, Jaden Richardson? Like most people, I haven't seen nearly enough of him. Admittedly, what I have seen doesn't make me think this investment is going to pay off, but I'd be surprised with the amount of money spent 
and probably the amount of work to be done to the squad in the summer. I'd be surprised if he's not around purely on the basis that we've paid for him and there are other positions to recruit for. That's not to say I expect him to feature much, mm-hmm. but I think we'll be stuck with him. Yeah, I mean, his numbers yesterday are, are pretty are, they're pretty bad. I mean, 9 out of 13 passes accurate, 69% on, on passing accuracy yesterday. 33 touches in total, um, zero successful dribbles, zero accurate crosses, one, one out of seven ground duels, didn't win any of his aerial duels in the game. Just an all-round bad, bad performance. And like you say, Gav, it's one of those, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, it's like, if you could at least see that, because he's obviously, he has the attributes of being quick and quite powerful. You're like, if you could at least see that, well, he brings something at the attacking end of the park, then you would go, right, well, maybe he even becomes like this kind of Gareth Bale type where he suddenly is no longer a, a right back and you, you convert him into being wide on the right-hand side up, up further up the park or something. But I just don't see any of that either. Um, Connor Barron had a, a poor, poor game as well yesterday. I know that Gavin, and I know you touched on it, I know, Graham, you're not convinced by Matty Kennedy either, but it feels to me that Barry Robson had limited selection options anyway at his disposal yesterday going into the game, but it feels like the choices he did make were bad. It feels to me that Kennedy and Duncan would at least be maybe safer options in a game like this yesterday. Negative. <laughs> I'll go on the record. Matty Kennedy is a better player than Jade Richardson, so I'd have been all for that. I don't really, at this point in time, I don't really care for either of them. But I can kind of take your point with Kennedy maybe because he's probably, I guess he's more, he's obviously more experienced, he's probably more yeah. disciplined. And I don't really think you'll get, you know, you won't get great defensive work out of him and you won't get great attacking work, but he would have been better. Yeah. So I'm with you there. But Ryan Duncan, um, on his recent form, shouldn't be in anywhere near that team. So I don't see how you can possibly make a case for him to be included. I'm just bitchily looking on the fact that Connor Barron was equally as bad yesterday, if not worse. Well, yeah, but you you only know that after the event. I, I know, um, exactly. It's definitely I know, I know. worth changing out. In my opinion, it was worth changing out. I think there's a more of a precedent set that Connor Barron will be competitive in the middle of the park than a Ryan Duncan. The problem was the game didn't really get played in the, in the middle of the park. park. Yeah, no. Hearts were very much all about getting out wide yeah. and we were very much all about um, bypassing the midfield. So I don't know if that had an impact on on Robson's kind of selection that he just thinking about it from a more defensive perspective and realizing that we weren't going to use an outright number 10. So let's get Connor Barron and see what he can do. I, I agree with Graham that, you know, Ryan Duncan's form does not warrant a position in the team right now. I think, to be honest, I was coming at it more from the perspective that at least he's been starting games recently and Connor Barron hasn't started a game since the turn of the year. And therefore, if somebody's going to be more likely to be up to speed with things, it's going to be Duncan over Barron. Duncan's not been up to speed in the last few weeks. <laughs> I take your point. There's the, I'm being slightly flippant. There's the match fitness and, and all the rest of it. So I see, I know what you mean from from that point of view. And obviously Duncan has played in yeah. that system and team for the last few weeks, whereas not only has Barron not played for a long time, he hasn't played in this uh, system or setup, I feel like, because I guess he wouldn't have played under Robson He's barely before, played, yeah. obviously not if he's been since December. So I can, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but my overriding thought is Duncan hadn't, hasn't done enough the last few weeks to have made some of the appearances he's made, never mind having featured on Saturday. So changing him out was the right call. I can see the case for Kennedy. Mm-hmm. But Grudging. either way... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, even then... It's quite a it's quite a disappointing state of affairs if that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Because your expensive purchase 
can't even be trusted to play a game. First half performance, I think we touched on it. I thought it was okay, generally. Um, it was maybe a little bit too open on one hand for me. Um, but at least I thought we went with a little bit of attacking intent as well. And we tried to get the ball of the park and tried to catch hearts on the counter. Um, so I'm not going to complain too much about that. And we kind of did exactly what we suggested we had to do last week, which was we had to get to at least a 20-25 minute mark, still at 0-0 or even better, a goal up. Um, try and kind of quiet the crowd and I think we did that pretty successful in the whole although there are a couple of opportunities Hearts have in that first opening 20 minutes that they really should have done better with I think in particular the Oda one where he dispossesses Hayes Johnny Hayes by the way yes they had a very 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 bad game as well um, Oda if he's a little bit more you know has has more game uh, sense about him he squares the ball for Janelle who's wide open and he taps in at an empty net practically but we kind of do the right things in the sense of at least getting to that 20-25 minute mark goalless the goal we score comes at the right time for us, I think, as well. It's, it's a good time we get the goal. Um, with VAR doing his job properly, and if Pollock converts his second opportunity he had, and I know it's all if buts, maybes, and if my auntie had balls, she'd be my uncle, all that type of stuff. But we could have been looking back on a relatively perfect afternoon's work at Tynecastle, couldn't we have? There was chances in there to, 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 to really take something out of that game. A very bold movie to assign gender to your auntie with balls. <laughs> you dinosaur. <laughs> um, yeah that's what I say again it's, it's the critical ones I think what I recognise that even though I was appreciating you know just how dogged we were in our defending it felt very much like Hibs in that we're going to have to like yeah. ride our luck significantly and you know it's going to take a lot of last ditch blocks and, and you can only do that so much and a great Kelris performance and you know yeah. just a, a big slice of fortune um, so to be be getting cut open as often as we have been for the second game in a row it's that that element is definitely concerning for us um but then you know like I say we 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 do the right things as far as you know getting that goal um if pollock puts it back across from where the cross has come from i think he scores he yep. you know i don't know if it's just the contact he's able to make takes it um, to the opposite post and goes wide and then, you know, um, well, I guess we're probably going to talk about Marley Watkins' penalty appeal next. Yeah, let's do it now. On VAR, it's another week. It's another call that seems to go against us. Um, it may be on the soft side, this one, but with what penalties are being given for these days across the country, um, it looks to me like a stonewall penalty kick. And I know that's with my my red-tinted glasses on. There's a cheap plug for, for Glenn and Calm right there. Um, if nothing else, I'm amazed that Clancy wasn't even sent to the screen to go and take a look at it himself. Who was the VAR official yesterday? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Give me a second. I'll try and find Well, I would say, having watched the full 90, Kevin Clancy got into his refereeing group very, very early in the game. There was some... I'm not going to sit here and say that the reason we lost the game is because of Kevin Clancy, but um, peculiar decisions. Definitely not keen on giving Aberdeen really much in the way of uh, the benefit of the doubt. Um, the penalty, Watkins, I think if Aberdeen conceded it, I'd be pretty annoyed. I think it would be, I think there's quite evidence to say that Watkins is on his way down before he reaches Haring. If Watkins just continues running in a straight line and there's clear contact, then I think it's um, a stonewaller. But um, I, yeah, I agree that I, it definitely could have been a penalty in the modern game, given what's, what's being given and what's not being given. Um, but am I surprised that we, that Clancy wasn't even advised to look at it? Absolutely not. All I'm rendering is that like in November or December when we brought VAR in, Gary once said that he thought we would be net beneficiaries of VAR. Yeah, how's that working for me? And I think since the previous two games, we've not had a decision. So, (laughs) good job. 
anyone who's listened to this for any length of time will realize that Gary says it. Uh-uh. <laughs> By the way, guys, I have um, I've located the episode where we did our predictions for the season. So oh, excellent. Good to analyze that. We can have maybe a little review Brilliant. of our a little review of our previews, maybe <laughs> next week or in two weeks' time. Looking forward to it. Um yeah, Graham, you're th- it's a penalty, isn't uh, it? In the current my first take is that I'm amazed that you're amazed about anything Kevin Clancy did. True, true. Every week you always, you know, it's like, oh, I was really surprised about this. Come on now, how long have you been doing this for? Um, uh, you look at some of the utter nonsense decisions that have been given with and without VAR this season to not even have been told to look at it yeah. is really, really strange and inconsistent, uh, which is kind of how I'd probably summarise, <laughs> well, actually VAR. the standard of officiating, well, no, just the officiating, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then insert full stop. So I bet like Gavin, had it gone the other way, you'd be like, oh, come on, that's a lot of, but I can see, I, th- I think I'm more minded to say there's something in it just on the basis of some of the laughable decisions that have been made this season by the officials. How come suddenly that doesn't get yeah. uh, a decision made, you know, because it kind of fits with some of the other ones. Um, but yeah, the whole thing's, you obviously don't want everything going to the screen and the ref watching everything because we'll never get out of any of the stadiums. But it just seems to be anything like that that is potentially contentious, you know, a penalty, why would you not just have a quick look? Yeah, that's the bit I'm Especially when by. we're told it's the referees that are supposed to be calling the shots. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But on the other hand, they're all fucking idiots, so none of it really surprises me. How often do we do this, though? It's... Even before they scored, in fairness, we were really starting to allow them to come on to us after we scored. We just started sitting in deeper and deeper and deeper. The goal from Ginelli, it's, it's also worldly and there's very little you can do about about that. But then in that second half, you, you're obviously expecting the home side to get a big lift from that goal before halftime. But I was really surprised by just how much we seemed to let them come on to us. They really dominated that opening 15, 20 minutes of that second half. Kind of just really invited the inevitable onto us, didn't we? And it seems... And again, Gav, you're right about this. And, and it's maybe been a little bit of, of a pattern under Robson as well so far, which is we're kind of content to let teams have decent chunks of the ball. And we're, we seem to be very reliant on we'll just throw bodies at things and defend really doggedly. But you can only do that for so long, can't you, in a game? And it, it felt inevitable that that second goal was going to be coming. We're definitely content to just defend our penalty box in the knowledge that if we can win the ball back, then we have the option of Miofsky, uh, and typically we would have Duke to to set off counterattack. But I mean, yeah, you're like I said, the, the numbers don't lie. Um, we've conceded what thirty opportunities to Hearts, thirty shots. Um, it's something similar against Hibbs. Um, if it's not for Kelrus and the woodwork and last ditch blocks, we lose against Hibbs. Um, it's just it's it's a combination of I think the in game strategy not being what I think it should be. And just our game management in situations is just, it it, it, t- it tells you all you need to know about why we're a team that are going to probably finish the season with roughly about half the uh, points we could have potentially won. Mm. And, you know, teams that, you know, are are more consistent and can challenge for trophies and be much further ahead than, than we are. Um, something I very much hope that he is able to address in the summer, because I'm not sure I'm too keen for an entire season of that kind of style it kind of feels like it's the Aberdeen way isn't it I mean I feel like for a number of seasons we've been mourning about the fact that we just invite 
teams on. Obviously, we've had spells where it's kind of worked for us mm-hmm. and we've been pretty resolute but carried a much greater threat and a lot more pace when we did turn the ball over. But, uh, yeah, as soon as it... I mean, it's one of these things you can kind of just sense it, can't you? We've seen it. And it's not just the criticism of Robson. I just feel like it's a gripe over the last quite a number of seasons where even in games where we've been in the ascendancy and, and then so the second half, you think, right, come out, let's just play the same way. We'll get another goal and then, and then we're out of sight and then we don't do it. And then either becomes really nervous or the opposition get back into the game. I think they should never have been allowed to do that. This wasn't quite that extreme because it was a lot more finely balanced, but to basically just come out in a game like that and that's how you approach it is is a little bit worrying. Yeah, I think this game and Hibs shows that if you take Shinny and McCrory out of our team, yeah, I was gonna say we don't have yeah. anyone in the fringes that have the kind of bite and tenacity and aggression to go and chase the ball down. And that's probably equally contributing to the fact that Robson's just saying, well, let's make it a case where we just get as many bodies around the box as we yeah. can. Because if we send, you know, Ryan Duncan or Connor Barron on the same kind of task as those two guys we've seen earlier in the season, they're just, they're not up to it. Yeah, and I think that's a fair comment. I think we're probably a, 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 a bit victim of circumstance at the moment rather than anything else. Um, the second goal, Gavi touched on it earlier on, it's a poor one just all round, isn't it? There's lack of pressure on the ball from Richardson. I'm not sure what Ramadani's doing with the whole hands behind his back thing when he's widening the touchline. He surely has to be trying to make himself as big as possible to stop cocking and flinging the ball in. At least if it hits your hand in that area there, it's a free kick, you can regroup. It's not a penalty kick. I don't really understand what he's doing there. Scales are sleeping with Shanklin. Pollock plays Shanklin on side as well when he doesn't need to be. He's got a perfect view across the line. It's just a bad, bad goal all around. I mean, Gav, I heard you say it was, you know, up there with some of the the classic Jim Goodwin and Stephen Glass moments. I'm not going to tell you if it's as bad as that, but it's a it's a it's a piss pure goal to concede, especially at the time it happens as well. I don't want to quote James Goodwin right here, but uh, I'm going to sound a bit like a broken record. But it's it's so familiar with Hibbs last week again where it's just the ball travels down the left side Richardson jogs along the hearts left wing back who passes the ball to Cochrane and then what Ramadani is doing and well we've seen this on more than one occasion in the past where he does the whole hands behind the back gimmick which I don't know why he's so intent on doing that uh, when he should be going and engaging Cochrane and then scales, you know, it's it's unforgivable that Hart's top scorer is just running into our penalty area completely unmarked. Yeah. Uh, scales should be aware of the danger, doesn't pay attention. By the time he realizes it's too late, we got away with one. And I had to go back and check this because Gary was adamant it was Pollock that left Nisbet last week. It was scales. And we got fortunate in there that he hit the post. This time we're not so lucky. Shanklin puts it away. And, you know, we're, we're behind in the game. Uh, we're definitely not in the game parts were dominating us it was just it was a bad time and a really bad goal to concede the kind of goal that makes me think that if the option to sign Liam Scales comes up in the summer you sort of think to yourself well he does play well quite often but that's the kind of defending that he's got in the tank yeah yeah it's that critical moment thing isn't it you really need to pull out a good stop at that point um it's one side of Robson that I'm still not convinced about and again this is not a kind of Robson knives out type scenario here but and I think I touched on it last week, and it's it's probably a little bit hard to judge. Graham's got this massive smirk on his face right now as I'm starting to talk about this. It's a little bit hard to judge him on this as well, I think, because of just how light the squad is in terms of options that are available to him. 
But I thought yesterday was another example where his changes just don't influence the pattern of the game at all. And I know, Graham, you touched on it last week, but how often does that actually happen anyway? But that triple change on the hour mark of Duncan, Morris and McKenzie did absolutely nothing to change things. Um, very much like for like swaps. Uh, obviously, McKenzie had to come on from McDonald because he was he, he was ill. But just nothing changed off of the back of that. He'd have been as well not, not making those changes apart from McDonald's. Oh, what's also worth mentioning is that when McDonald went off, he did get like an ice pack put on his knee, which is obviously what was causing him bother after the Hibs game. So hopefully um, there's nothing too serious there. He can make it for Wednesday because the even though I've just been critical of Liam's skills, the back three have been very good for us. Yeah, And I think that'll be key to us uh, beating St. Mirren. The changes, I, I just think that it shows how little strength and depth there is in the squad. If you're having to resort to Shaden Morris and Jack McKenzie to turn a critical third place deciding game around, your squad is not in good shape. And uh, it's something that's going to have to be majorly addressed in the summer, um, whether that's with, um, well, who's going to be in charge of the operation now, we don't really know. Uh, hopefully all the work's kind of already in place, but it's, um, yeah, it's, yeah, you shouldn't be bringing Shaden Morris on in a critical game for Aberdeen, ever. <laughs> I think the part of the point of the subs is, so I agree with, obviously you can only sub on what you've got on the bench, so, the the quality that's there isn't necessarily down to Robson at this point. No. But making a like-for-like like swaps when the system isn't really working and we're not in the game is down to him. So it's all very well just doing the old triple subs. This is what we're always moan about uh, under the Kennedy era, for example. You knew he was going to do, he was going to put on, when he was going to put him on, and nothing would change other than basically fresh legs. I don't think... Saturday was an example where it wasn't just fresh legs that we needed. He needed to do something to try and get us back into the game and was unable or unwilling to do that. You think at any point Barry Robson turned to his bench and said, right, Marley, get stripped. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> now what do I do? <laughs> I think there's a very good chance that might have happened, to be honest. This, the same thing happens later. McCarndy comes on. Ugh. Um, he was very bad. Um, Alfie Babbage comes on. It's way too late for him to influence anything at that point. Um, I'm not entirely sure why it wasn't Babbage for Watkins, to be honest, why it was Mark Andy that came on, but but there we go. To be honest, with the way the game panned out, especially when we went 2-1 down, I was feeling the worst in terms of goals being conceded and what that might do to our confidence going into these last two games of the season. So in a weird way, getting away with a 2-1 defeat, as suboptimal as that is, kind of feels like it could have been a lot worse. That second half, we couldn't have complained only if Hearts had been three, four, five goals to the good. I mean, well, Forrest, you know, should score yeah. for sure. Um, they should probably score if Oda uh, cuts it back for Janelli. That's another one for sure. And then there's, you know, a couple of good saves and some some poor finishing from Hearts in, in other instances. Uh, yeah, likewise, um, go back to Hibs. I mean, we could be talking about a, a heavy defeat and probably have very little in the way of grounds for, for complaint. It's just, um, yeah, the way this split has panned out so far it's not been quite what i was hoping for from from aberdeen uh and it does feel like you're grateful that we were on that amazing run before the split because mm-hmm. it's given us enough of a cushion that it's not been too critical but um like graham's kind of said it's not i was hoping we could be talking about tonight in a very relaxed casual manner and be preparing laws for the people you know basically the players to be on the beach and we can give mark Kennedy 90 minutes against the minute but uh it's gonna be another all hands on deck performance 
it does kind of feel that we're somewhat running out of steam a little bit here, aren't we? We're kind of just on the brink of stumbling over the line. Um, we'll come up the preview for St. Mirren after the break, but and it probably seems defeatist, but if there was the possibility of Duke and McCrory being ready for hearts, but it was going to be a risk and we ran we ran the risk of them uh, making their injuries worse and it was better to leave them for a few days to recover from St. Mirren, then maybe that is up the, the better option in terms of hedging our bets. I mean, I've seen us play really well at Tynecastle and come away with nothing. Um, and, and that's not to say that that's acceptable, but that's just the truth of the matter. Better to avoid those risk of those injuries being exacerbated ahead of Wednesday and hopefully we can just get Wednesday night done and dusted and we're over the line and, and that's where we're at. Um, so Tom Ritchie was the co-coms on Red TV and when Tom Ritchie wasn't going in on Kevin Clancy's refereeing performance, he was mentioning that you know Duke has been in the gym and been in training all week. Um, so there was always, I think, a decision made to save him for St. Mirren. I kind of maintain my stance that I would have played as strong a team as I could against Hearts because simply because I want the third place to be wrapped up as quickly as possible. Um, I thought in the first half, especially, I thought Watkins and Miofsky provided us with a real outlet. Yeah, I thought they did okay. Um, you know, it was, we were very direct. It wasn't a case of those, we were just shelling it to them to try and win headers against the Hearts fans. It was more about getting the ball over the top and for them to, to run onto it. But there's one or two instances where Watkins gets himself into space in the penalty area and you just think to yourself, well, if that's Duke, is the outcome different? Um, I thought Watkins played well in the first half, faded dramatically in the second half. But, you know, there's an undeniable drop in quality from Duke to Marley Watkins. So uh, for me, I, I think I would have been bold and, and stuck Duke in there. I would have gone for it for the same reason Gav said. The sooner you can... I mean, So it goes a couple of ways. You... You put them in, they play the full duration you want them to and you get something out of the game, great. If you win, obviously you're laughing. If you get a point, you're in better shape. If they break down, fine, it's probably a gamble worth taking because now you know, you may be keeping them back if they were indeed ready and it's all just basically all your eggs and we're in basket now. So I would have put them in, but... Time will tell, won't it? Well, time will tell. Exactly. It's a difficult. It is a difficult call for Robson in fairness to that because the last thing he wants is he sticks in Duke on Saturday. Duke's a prime example of it. And ten minutes gone, he breaks down and he's out for the. He, he doesn't feature in the last two games of the season, and we still go on and get beat anyway at Tynecastle, and they've they've lost out on both. On, on, no, on that's both. true. But then he's also going to look like a bit of a nugget if he breaks down in ten minutes on Wednesday. <laughs> yes, I completely agree with that. It's, that's a massive gamble. Um, all in all, a pretty disappointing afternoon at Tynecastle. Maybe not a result that was necessarily unexpected, but it does, as Gavin says, it does just keep things ticking along towards the back end of the season. Um, looking at top dawn from yesterday, um, the solar system had the vote between Roos, Clarkson and Pollock, Lee and Clarkson winning out in that one with 49.9% of the vote. Um, Gav Graham, who would you who would you hand the award to? You know me, I wouldn't go against the people. No, nope, you never do. I, yeah, I tend to agree that Lee and Clarkson was the one in midfield that was trying to compete, um, the one in midfield that was trying to make things happen. On another day, I think Miofsky, if his control or maybe his determination is more <laughs> is more there, then Clarkson maybe sets him up for a couple of goals. Um, and even though it didn't really, it's kind of offer nothing because it was actually offside, the, the determination to kind of get back into position to stop Hearts from scoring, clearing the ball off the line, is uh, just another example of Leighton Clarkson's uh, growing work rate as he's continued uh, at Aberdeen. I thought he was pretty good. Tried to pretty much carry the Aberdeen team. 
and did it as well as he could. So yeah, I'll I'll go with Leighton Clarkson. Leighton Clarkson, same as we for me on this one. Um, I think that's probably enough about Saturday afternoon. Would you agree, champs? Yeah. Yes. Okay, let's move on. On to other news from AB24 this week. A few a few bits and pieces, a few nuggets to talk about this week, which makes a change. Um, first of all, the news on Friday that Alfie Bava just signed a contract extension until the summer of 2026. Um, it's a 17-year-old who's scored 38 goals so far this season in the under-18s, made his first team debut back in February, picked up Development Player of the Year award earlier in May as well. He's been well sought after by teams down south. It does represent, in my mind, a pretty significant deal from the club to be able to fend off those suitors. I'm sure that we're all looking forward to seeing Alfie continue to develop uh, at Aberdeen. You know, I don't think he touched the ball against Hearts, but when he came on against, was it Kilmarnock? Up at Audrey? Yes. Once it was Kilmarnock. I liked what I saw uh, a lot, and he scored millions of goals for the young team. Um, and it seems like it's a bit of a real coup. Um, you do have to wonder, given the interest that must have been there for him, what exactly has been promised to him. Um, I guess we'll kind of maybe wait and see what happens with transfers in and out in the summer, but I hope we can see a lot more of him next year. Yeah, hopefully he will actually feature the the more pessimistic side of me thinks we've just managed to get him on a deal so that we get a bit more protection when he goes and that may or may not be soon but at least that gives the club a bit more skin in the game uh, and if we really have been able to get him to sign because he actually wants to stay and he thinks he's got a chance then let's hope he we do start to see him otherwise he's not going to be hanging around because if he can still you know if he continues on that form next season at that level someone will just come in for him so you kind of hope that if he is going to hang around we do start to see him. They did do a feature on him on yeah. TV at halftime, and I think he commented significantly on Barry Robson being made manager, and obviously they'll have known each other and worked together for a number of years now. So, you know, I think the, the coaching staff and the club definitely know the talent that's there, and if maybe it's about protecting our investment, that we can actually give him maybe a year first-team level and, you know, go on and make some serious money instead of losing him to a development fee, as we've seen all too often at Aberdeen and just in general in Scottish football. But yeah, like I said, I'm excited to see what Alfie's going to bring. Yeah, I, I have a sneaky suspicion he's going to be much more in and around the first team squad next season as, as opposed to being back in the 18s. Uh, it might even be a case, I don't know if they're thinking about it and be a loan move for him. Um, be interested if they decide to go with that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him stick around uh, at Aberdeen, to be honest, and be part of the kind of first team squad as a, a backup striker. Well, if you think we were all of the opinion that one or both of Duke and Miofsky yeah, will be off. So that doesn't mean he's just going to come in and take their place. But I, I would expect there to be vacancies in that sort of department. And whilst I can't imagine they're looking at him saying, that's great, he's going to play every week, they possibly are looking at him saying, well, he's going to get some games and he's a backup. So maybe he will be in and around first team a bit, a bit more, which would obviously be good because like all these, and we've, we've had plenty of younger players with good reputations and they've never really gone on to do it. So hopefully he'll buck that trend and next season's when we'll, we'll find out what he's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Completely. Or remember as well, Marley Watkins is away in the summer. Well, is he? You would, well, you just, I would think that if we were keeping Watkins around, that we would have heard something about your extension by now. Possibly. I, I think Robson likes Watkins, so I wouldn't be surprised to see Watkins still here next season. Anyway, that's a conversation for, for later on. Um, I think it's very positive news that we've been able to keep Alfie Babbage um, at the club, so hopefully, fingers crossed, he can 
continue to develop and hopefully uh, deliver on the promise that we've seen from so far uh, once he gets into first team. Also, although at the time of us recording uh, Sunday night, it's not been formally announced yet, but it's happening. Nicky Devlin has clearly signed a pre-contract agreement to join the Dons on the 1st of June when his contract with Livingston expires. The 29-year-old Livy captain will join the Dons after four years in West Lothian after having made a total of 146 appearances for the Lions so far, scoring seven goals, creating 17. Started his career in the Dumbarton youth setup before moving to Motherwell's youth setup, then moving to Stenhouse Junior Air United, Walsall, and then came back to Scotland in 2019 to join Livingston. One appearance at Scotland under 19 level. James, your thoughts on this signing? I mean, it's a who's who of footballing powerhouses in his history. <laughs> um, so you know it's good. Um, um, he's been I know Livingston fans like him Um, he's been a very well thought of and um, consistent player for them in the four years he's been there I can't honestly say that I've ever really watched him and thought that's a really good fullback but it doesn't surprise me in in the sense I think that Robson will especially in defence prioritise experience of the Scottish game and Devlin's been I mean he's captain at Livingston um, so I guess that's more leadership that Robson will want to bring into the team. Um, how do I feel about it? It's it's kind of a bit of a... I feel the same kind of way I did when Greg, Greg Tanzi signed. Oh in that, I think, it'll go one, I think it'll go one of two ways where being around better players will make him look a better player or being around better players will make it, us realise that he's not very good. Well, fucking hell, Gav. Hope Nicky Devlin is tuning into this. Graham? However, he's probably better than Jaden, so it's an upgrade. <laughs> I think he's a pretty solid, reliable player, and you need sort of a spine of solid, reliable, trustworthy players in your team. And then obviously, you'd like to complement them with some of the, you know, maybe the flashier players. So, from that point of view, I can see the logic to it. My only concern would be. I suppose just because it's the first signing, I hope we're not just going back to the olden days of just basically looking in the UK market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, but I can see why, you know, it's not, it's not like you should just dismiss it. So I can see, I can see why it would make sense, especially in that particular position and who we've spoken about earlier in the show. You know, would you actually want that person to be playing or would they be here? Um, so if I'm honest, I wasn't, you know, it's not the most... I don't think it'll be the most exciting signing, but he'll probably actually turn out to be pretty pretty solid. And I would hope at the end of the season, and I'd probably expect at the end of the season, we're all saying, yeah, it didn't really get everyone excited when he was announced, but he's been absolutely solid all the way through the season. Because if yeah. he's played for, you know, he's going to have that sort of levy. I mean, we need that, we need guys with that sort of mentality and, you know, the sort of fight for everything. Because I guess, you, you know, you look at his career there obviously poking a bit of fun at some of the teams but that's a guy who's obviously you know had to continue to work all the way through to make a career you know look at those kind of teams it must be tough to make a living so you need someone who's um hopefully seeing this as a real opportunity I, mean, I know he's still in the Scottish game but it must be night and day living to Aberdeen in terms of what you can get paid and potentially achieve in terms of league finishes or maybe a cup run so You've got a guy who's hopefully really, really excited and motivated to be here. That's the thing, isn't it? It's not an exciting signing by any stretch of the imagination, but what I think Nicky Devon... I've actually always quite liked Nicky Devon. I think he brings 
a level of aggression and he's he's been quite a nasty fucker as well in the past and I think sometimes we're a little bit too nice sometimes. Solid, um, he's got a decent number of games under his belt now, obviously 146 at Livingston, there's, you know, 150 odd at air before, so he, he comes in with a level of experience, 29 years of age is a good age, I think, as well. What I suspect we are going to see, and it, it kind of touched on what you were just talking about there, Graham, about, you know, hopefully this isn't the start of us looking just in the, the, the Scottish leagues again. We're going to touch on the scouting stuff in a minute or two. I have a sneaky suspicion that we're going to see, and I was talking to someone about this yesterday as well, I've got a funny feeling we're going to see Barry Robson's kind of recruitment look very much where we're going to be solid and experienced and dirty and hard to beat from a defensive perspective. So I wouldn't be surprised to see more kind of players of a, a Devlin-esque kind of um, profile join the club in the defensive areas, but with the view that we'll have some attacking flair further up the top end of the park and we'll almost be like, kind of like, we'll be hard to score against defensively and we'll be a bit niggly and a bit, you know, we'll be hard and we'll basically be like, then give the player, give the ball to flair players and let them go and do what they need to do. And that might be where we rely on the kind of European or for scouting from further afield to, to pick up those kind of flair players. Um, which might not be necessarily a bad way to approach the Scottish Premiership, to be honest with you. I think if you don't, if you're not conceding goals, we've we've seen that in the run we had under Robson initially. If you're not conceding goals, chances are you're winning games. Um, and if you've just got that little bit of cutting edge at the top end of the park, then you're laughing. The thing, like the thing I do like about Devlin is he is, and I was just going through his numbers again earlier on. He's the archetypical seven out of ten player every week. His ratings, when you go through them over the last two, three seasons at Livingston are bang on averaging between seven and seven and a half percent across the season. Uh, seven and seven and a half out of ten across the season. So you need players like that in your team as well, don't you? You need workhorses. You need guys that can deliver consistent seven, eight out of ten performances every week without doing anything flash. Uh, definitely. If you don't have a solid base to build from, you can have all the fancy players in the world. But if none of them are doing the basics and putting in a decent shift, uh, you're not going to, unlikely you're going to accomplish anything. Our defence has been laughable for quite a few seasons now, so I could I could live with a season of not having a heart attack every time the ball comes near our box. And if he's going to start plugging those gaps, that's absolutely fine. And, you know, and ultimately, whilst I would like us to be making interesting and exciting signings, at the end of the day, it's a results business. So if getting these experienced, solid pros in uh, is going to lead to a more successful season, then... That's fine with me. And also, Graham, I mean, Ronnie Hernandez was an interesting signing. Ronnie Hernandez was a total money laundering scheme or something like that. Even though we got, I can't remember, <laughs> would you like, would you like to throw in a certain money back? <laughs> would you like allegedly? Would you like to throw in a certain legal term there? Just FYI. <laughs> um, who I knows think... who cooked that deal up? I think, um, <laughs> oh dear. or who knows what books were cooked up with that deal. Um, I think what concerns me maybe with Devlin is that coming from Livingston, where it's a very much a unit and where everyone is completely aware of their task to then coming to a club like Aberdeen, I just, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's something in there that leaves me with um, the heebie jeebies. There is that uh, little bit for me, isn't there, about how many times have we seen players now make this step, the, the, theoretical step up and it's just not worked out for them yeah and I, I do also want to Livingston play four at the back if I'm not mistaken so I do want yeah, to they have Devlin... played with it. they have played as with wing backs they did that a lot yeah. last season I'm, just, I'm not sure Devlin really screams out you know flying attacking right wing back to me so he's if this is maybe... of, he's got 17 he's 17 assists in his 146 games he's averaging an assist every better than every 10 games switch for a fullback's not bad well as we've Seen with a, I mean, it sounds pretty 
mediocre, but as we've seen with the data, that is obviously decided he's a good signing. So that's that. Yeah, you can insert insert like a case closed sound. You know what? If he plays more than the last Devlin and is better than the last signing from Livingston, then we'll be okay. No jet. (laughs) I just don't think it was. Uh, Okay, yeah, definitely. It's it's not a hard bar to clear, is it? So fingers crossed. It's the first bar to clear for me, though. Last thing to talk about quickly. Um, Rumours abounding towards the back end of the week. Darren Mowbray is off to Southampton in the summer. And I think this was almost all but confirmed by Alan Burrows in the the DNA Q&A that they did in Edinburgh on Friday night. Um, I know a lot of people are obviously very um, worried, maybe is one way of putting it, about Mowbray leaving because we've obviously seen some real fruits of the recruitment um, strategy and everything that Mowbray's put in place since he came into the club last season with the likes of Duke, um, Mijanovski being found there, Ramadani as well. Um, but Gav, I think you've got a slightly different view on this to an extent, haven't you? I think that I would call our recruitment under Mowbray mixed. I, I think it's hard because you you never know exactly who he has been you know, key in signing. I mean, for example, I think we can probably reasonably say that Anthony Stewart was like Jim Goodwin signing. I think Liam Scales was definitely a Jim Goodwin signing. Agreed. Yeah. There has been a number of, I think the thing with me is like, a number of like the signs we've made are the kind of signs we would have made before Mowbray was here anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the likes of Hayden Coulson, uh, Matty Pollock, McDonald, um, Leighton Clarkson. And then some of the more outlandish ones, like going to the National League of England and... Well, we know Cal Robert. We know Cal Roberts was a Darren Mowbray shout because that's Lee Scott told us about that. Yep, and I believe also Shane Morris was fits into that category. Yeah, uh, Jaden Richardson was obviously obviously they were given a profile of a player and they identified mm-hmm. Jane Richardson as being the outstanding one. Mm-hmm. If there's one adjective I would not use to describe Jane Richardson, and then you know you've got to look at even like last January, Bajowin spent a year here, hasn't worked out, but got shipped out on loan. Danny Polvara. Nowhere near the levels. I don't think Danny Povara was a Mowbray signing. But it wasn't a Mowbray signing. No way. He was. He was. Danny Povara has been signed because Bobby Clark told Dave Cormack this guy looked good. I mean, they made it when he signed him. He was a recommendation for Bobby Clark. So anyway, um, and then you, and then there's the other things like you know at the end of the day, Ramadani was found. Lee Scott told us because they were going to go scout Miofsky and Lee Scott's job. Part of it was to, when scouts were going to games, to just look at the data and look at other players yeah. that were worth looking at. That's how we found him. Yeah. And Duke came about the conventional ways of an agent speaking to the club. Yes, that's also correct. Yeah. So the success rate that Mowbray's had, I'm not really sure it's there to the extent that we should be like overly concerned about him, him departing. And I would also just caveat all that by saying that if we're in a place right now as a club where we're only just starting to do our summer recruitment work now, then we're an even bigger shit show than I have a club than I thought we were. It'll all be taken care of. So, yeah, so. I he's think got Burrows, a, yeah, he's got I a think, notice period to work. It'll be okay. I think Burroughs admitted in the Q&A on Friday that he wasn't overly concerned about this summer because a lot of the groundwork's already been done. The players they want to go after have ident- been identified and that's all done and dusted. So that's not so bad. Um, it maybe does put some question marks over our more like longer term approaches. But I guess the key thing is in him, it was one of the parts that came out of the, the chat we had with Alan Burrows um, last, which came out last week in episode 104. If you're not listening to it yet, um, I'd recommend you absolutely go and do it. But when they talked about the systems and the, the um, I say systems, but the actual kind of software systems and everything they've put in place, there's almost like a bespoke 
scouting system been put in place by the club now, which you know Burroughs was absolutely raving about. Um, if if all that groundwork and we've got all the kind of tools in place now as well for our recruitment team underneath them um, to to work with, and that in itself has surely been a massive bonus. And it's now just a case of using those tools and identifying a new head of recruitment who can come in. I'm sure that the job at Aberdeen is still a very attractive one to people, so I'm sure we'll find plenty of candidates who are willing to come in and work on it um, going forward. So it'll be interesting to see where, where that does leave us. I mean, as you say, Gav, he'll presumably have a similar notice period to what he had at Burnley when he joined us, which means he's probably got at least another two, two and a half months to run. Um, fingers crossed, as you say, that most of our um, recruitment has been done for this summer. Not not done in terms of people signing, but in terms of the players we want to get after. And hopefully it won't be necessarily that big a, a, big a loss going forward. But interesting to see what happens on, on that front, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I, I think our recruitment has been suboptimal in the last 18 months. So I don't look at this as being a major loss. There we go. I think it's a little harsh to judge anyone on one effectively transfer window. Uh, you These things take time and you don't know what he's implemented or been a part of implementing behind the scenes. So I take your point, the recruitment's not been brilliant, but the recruitment for Aberdeen will never be brilliant because we don't have the budget. You're always going to be taking gambles. Um, so time will tell if it makes a difference. And ultimately, whilst he's the head of recruitment, he doesn't sign the players. So he can only advise on what he thinks is suitable. You then get a good win overriding it, for example, in some cases, and picking Tony Stewart, and then you're totally fucked if that's happening. So it's kind of difficult to criticise him for all the the signings. But we'll see what happens. George Hughes will probably put his ring into his uh, hat into the ring. He seems to sign up for everything these days. Let's move on then, really quickly. On to Lone Watch. Um, only two players left now out on loan who are still in active duty. Uh, Con McQuenin. At St. Johnston, I say well, you, you say active. active, and a new sub at St. Johnston as they won by a goal to Snow Rugby Park as the Perth Saints secured their SPFL Premiership for another year. Cheers to the Dogger Saints. We'll see you around next year again where we talk about Sony Luco. <laughs> um, Dante Povara, uh, the Charleston Battery, played 66 minutes as the Battery got back to winning ways. A 1 0 win over Monterey Bay FC in the USL Championship, Charleston back to the top of the pile in the Eastern Conference. Gav's looking really confused. I don't know where Monterey Bay are, so I can't comment on the geographical Monterey, split. I think. Anyway, <laughs> I, I've, re- I've realised as well that the conferences are split geographically, but they play each other from the conferences. What? So, so the, the conferences themselves are split in the league table, right? Like, the league tables are split, Eastern and Western. Yep. But Eastern teams play Western teams on a weekly basis. Doesn't make any sense. I know it makes no sense, but it happens in the MLS as well. It's a silly thing. According to Google Maps, Monterey's in Mexico, so that's an even bigger head fuck. <laughs> oh, there we go. Anyway, we move on. <sighs> Maybe like no 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 blaha, we know you listen, no, or any of the regular American listeners who are here, um, <laughs> try and hit us up with what the fuck this is all about. Just so that we don't have to do this every week where Gav just looks bemused. And he's looking at maps of the United States of America trying to figure out who should be in what conference. Thank you. It would be much appreciated. Anyway, on to the young team. A trip to the Hibs training ground on Friday evening for the young team. Rodrigo Vitols, what a good name that is, returning in goals for the Dons. Jamie Mercer and Victor NM also back in the back line in place of Finlay Murray. And Timmy Fatona also starts for Fletcher Boyd and Lewis Carroll alongside Kai Watson. And they're both 2008 born, so that that's 15 years old maximum there in under-18s for us. So. 
Fair play, lads. Uh, despite a lively start from the visitors that saw Boyd and Dylan Lobin having efforts on goal, it was Hibbs who took the lead on 20 minutes, laid law dispossessing Lobin and his squared ball to Reuben McAllister. Reuben McAllister. Oh, you know. Was dispatched beyond Vitals. Emsley then with a good chance at the other end, but Owens and the Hibbs go stopping well before Hibbs should have doubled their lead just before half time into the second half. And despite having loads and loads of possession, the Dons couldn't quite force an equaliser. Emsley going closest on the hour mark, but his effort squirmed past the post, and that was that. The Dons not quite able to grab an equaliser. All eyes now on the final under 18 game of the season at Cormac Park on Friday as Dundee United visit the Granite City on the women's side. The Queens sort out their season with a 3-0 defeat at Motherwell on Sunday afternoon. Lauren Campbell, <clears throat> Lauren Campbell captaining the side for the final time. Some changes to the Dons starting lineup from last time out. Jess Broderick suspended following her red card with Donna Patterson also unavailable. Chloe Gover moving to the bench with Maya Christie and Hannah Stewart returning to the starting lineup. Millie Uckert also starting her last game for the Dons before heading off to the State's early opportunities for both teams in the opening 10 minutes of the game. Bailey Collins with a shot blocked on the edge of the box. And as the rebound fell to Francesca Ogilvie, she fired wide. At the other end, a foul by Maddie Finney gave away a free kick in a dangerous position for Motherwell. But Watson's dead ball attempt was dealt with by McCann in the visiting goal. Bailey Hutchinson then with an opportunity to open the scoring. But her shot from an angle found the side netting of Emily Much's goal. Cody Hay then testing... McCann in the Aberdeen goals as she cut in from the left, but her curling effort straight at the goalkeeper. Half time though, nil-nil. And the hosts were the first to threaten in the second period. Boyce again with the best opportunity striker finding herself goal side of Campbell, but her shot was saved well by McCann. Ailey Shore then went close herself as she fired over from 25 yards, and then eventually the home side did go in front 10 minutes into the second half. The ball breaking into the path of Boyce, and her effort from 25 yards dipped into McCann's net. Aberdeen forcing a change just before the hour mark when Stewart had to be withdrawn with injury. Chloe Gover coming onto the park to replace her. And the substitute almost made an instant impact with her flick on releasing Hutchison, but the Aberdeen striker was forced wide and couldn't beat Emily much from a narrow angle. As the game progressed on, still even Stevens between the sides, but Ogilvy getting in behind the well defence on the left-hand side, seeing her right foot shot held by much in home goal, and the hosts then doubled their lead with 15 minutes remaining, a corner from Motherwell's right-hand side, causing a scramble on the box and substitute McDonald and Gua, cleverly flicking the ball home from a close range. Elena Karkanen and Nadia Sopil were introduced into the closing stages, but the hosts added a third with six minutes remaining, Gardner breaking into the Aberdeen box and calmly side-footing home into the bottom corner. Lauren Campbell leaving the field for the last time with two minutes to go. She was replaced by Amy Black, the Don skipper, given an applause off the park by both sets of players. That's how it ended. A 3-0 defeat for the Quines in their final SWPL1 match of the season. SWPL1 uh, survival secured a few weeks ago now. Be interested to see what happens next season for the Quines. Obviously, the hunt goes on now for a replacement full-time manager. And I'd be interested to see who steps into Lauren Campbell's shoes to take on the, the captain's armband next season. And that, I think, will do us for this half. Join us on the other side. We'll bring you our latest installment of Jeff's Music Corner and we'll bring you our preview of Wednesday evening's visit of Simmerin to Pitodry. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Siberia Bar, like us all, are praying for European nights this summer with the end of the season looming and the prospect of a big summer at Pataudry on the horizon. 
Make a night of it by visiting the bar pre and post match, grabbing some cheap drinks using the ABZ pod discount, and even better, stay in the hotel after a big night of celebrations and get 15% off your stay in the hotel by booking direct to the Siberia Bar Hotel and using the code ABZ pod. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our preview of Wednesday's game, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund this week. That includes Duncan Ray. Duncan! We see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffee, please head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast. The link is in the description. Shout us a beer or a coffee. It is much appreciated. And now, a welcome return to Jeff's Music Corner, a new entrant this week. A request as well. So if you've got your request for the GMC, hit us up on the T W I T T E R. Um it is <laughs> Trash by Suede. Um released on the 29th of July 1996, the first single from their third album coming up, peaking at number three in the UK charts. This is Suede's highest placed single. Initial thoughts on this one, chaps? Of its time. I reacquainted myself with it. Uh, I quite like it file this under songs that I've probably danced to in Drummond's about 1am while sipping on a Brooklyn Lager. Brooklyn Lager? You've changed. Is it not Red, red Stripe? Sure. No, they no, they don't serve Red Stripe in Drummond's. They serve it in tunnels because they the beer selection in tunnels is disastrous. But the beer selection in, in Drummond's is actually pretty good. Graham, you'll back me up on this. A Red Stripe in Drummond's it, used to be the yeah. gateway drug of the evening. Indeed. Indeed. But the cage these days... Horrendous, horrendous stuff. Oh, it's terrible. The place wasn't full of beards it's... and ill-fitting jeans back in those days. Trust me, it's not. People like that are not in Drummond's today either. And um, everywhere. I just assumed they were in Drummond's. It's like stepping into a time warp. To be fair, that's no different from how it used to be, to be fair. Um, in my mind, certified banger. It's, um, it's good. It's okay. I like it, but you can't say, you can't describe it as a banger, basically, if it's not electronic. Okay, well, that's fair enough. I, I, I'm but it's, it's a quality a tune, actually. On. If, it, if it fits in the quality tunage department... Well, hang on, hang, hang on. I mean, there's nothing electronic about Andrew WK. And that's a banger. Did I describe it as a banger, though? I mean, you brought it to the table. I did, but I can't remember if I described it as a banger. You if I did, then, obviously, my whole argument is totally blown up here. So it's, it's a quality tune. If you look up the word bang in the dictionary, it's just a picture of Andrew WK's face, surely. Yeah. <laughs> with head, with head in parentheses. <laughs> yeah, obviously. Anyway, it is a quality tune, so uh, uh, that is a good choice. A good choice, Cam McWilliam. So, what were Aberdeen up to that week? Well, the answer is they were embarking on an Austrian pre-season tour, facing off against Bayer Leverkusen, FC Xanthi, and Olympiakos. A six-nil win for the Greeks in that one, as the Dons look to build on a much improved first full season under Roy Aitken, where we, of course, won the League Cup. Uh, the Dons' European run that season eventually coming to an end in a two-nil defeat on aggregate to Epsilon Ron B before we eventually went on to finish sixth in the table. So how do we get this one back to Aberdeen? It's pretty straightforward. Suede forum man, Brett Anderson, self-confessed Ipswich Town fan. There's numerous connections between Ipswich and the Dons. Um, Wes Burns. About Wes Burns or Don Ball or Greg Lee or Greg Halford. <laughs> Greg Halford. Um, Paul Mason. 
We'll go Some of these are better than others. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but of course, the most famous one between Aberdeen and Ipswich, the UEFA Cup first round tie between the sides in 1981. The Dons coming through 4-2, winners in aggregate on that one. Peter Weir, the hero in the home leg, scoring twice and tormenting England captain Mick Mills all evening. So there we have it. Trash by Suede. It's locked into the GMC. We'll get the, play- the playlist updated. I need to try and find the link for the playlist as well so people can go and listen to it. Why would you? But never mind, let's get it done. And let's move on <laughs> to the Simmer preview, shall we? So, two games to go. Two games to go, boys. We're on the home straight. We're nearly there. Final home game of the season sees St. Mirren visit Pataudry. The Saints with a winning record over the Dons so far this season. Aberdeen winning the opening game between the two sides at the start of the season. That was that 4-1 win when Declan Gallagher was sent off after 22 minutes. That was funny, wasn't it? A game that also saw the emergence of Leighton Clarkson and a first goal for the Dons for Duke. A 3-1 defeat in Paisley in December. This was not quite so funny as the Dons' post-World Cup blues continued. Anthony Stewart sent off in this one after just 35 minutes before the Saints also then won 3-1 at Petaldry. Barry Robson's first game in charge after the sacking of Jim Goodwin. The Saints benefiting from an early sending off for Ross McCrory. Goals from Maine. And Gallagher seeing the Paisley Saints take the points home. And you might remember them celebrating it in this one. I thought they'd qualified for the Europa Conference League at that point. But as it turns out, no, they hadn't. And here we are with them in sixth. Anyway, indeed, that win in February was Saints' first win at Pataudry on league duty since 2011. Of the 112 league games between the sides of Pataudry, Aberdeen have won 71 23 draws and only 18 wins for the Buddies. The last 20 games between the teams at Pataudry sees 10 wins for Aberdeen, 8 draws and 2 wins for Saints. They come into this one probably a little bit disappointed, it's fair to say, after a 2-2 draw at Celtic Park on Saturday. It looked as though a Curtis main double was going to seal the points for Stephen Robertson's side, but a late goal from Cal McGregor meant the spoils were shared. Saints with no wins. In their last five coming into this one, two draws in a row against Hearts and Celtic, their last two results. They've only won three games on the road all season. Um, five draws and 10 defeats making up the balance of their 18 games away from the Smiza. This season, the Dons, of course, with the joint third best home record in the league. 12 wins and two draws from our 18 games at the pit so far. Saints top scorer, Mark O'Hara, 10 goals, five of them from the spot. Curtis Main's next up on nine. Ryan Strain, the main creator, with five assists. Uh, 43 goals in total in the league this season. That's against an expected goals of 41.2, so just about on par there. 43 goals scored as the fifth lowest tally in the top flight. Of those 43 goals, 20 have come from open play. That's the second lowest tally in the top flight. 13 goals from set plays, which is the fourth highest. Eight penalties and two on goals make up the tally. 55 goals conceded in the league. That's the same tally as the Dons. And all I can ever think about when I see these stats is how lauded Stephen Robinson was at the start of the season for how well St. Men were doing defensively. But if you're pulling up the same numbers as Aberdeen are this season, that's, you know, ain't that great. Nah, that's all I'm going to say. Um, of those 55 goals conceded in the league, 37 of them have come on the road as well. So they are certainly shipping more goals on the road than they do at home. Of those 55 conceded, 36 have come from open play. That's the fourth worst record in the league against an expected goals against a 31.7. They've only conceded seven goals from set plays. So that is the joint best total in the league. So it's fair to say we need to be wary about St. Mirren from set plays at both ends of the park. So we need to look at creating chances from open play. In the main, Robson, Robinson stuck pretty rigidly to a 5-3-2 formation. It will come as a massive shock to absolutely nobody to find that Saints are the team that hold the least possession in the league, averaging just 38.4% possession per game. 
They've got the lowest average number of passes per game, just 177.4. Obviously, that means they have the least number of passes per sequence, 2.03, and they move the ball at the park quickly. The quickest in the league, the ball moves up the park on average 1.8 meters per second. So quite direct, that's what we're saying. Um, when they do get the ball, they're looking to try and make the most of the wide areas, throwing crosses in the box to try and make something happen when knock, knockdowns, second balls, etc. They've got an average of 5.7 accurate crosses Per game, that's the second highest in the league. Only Sevco have got more, more than happy as a result to give up possession and territory. You'll see it from the zones of control graph. It will we'll, um, put out later on. As a reminder, the red zones are the areas that the team that they're playing against control more of. The blue zones are the ones that sit there and control more than 50%. Possession. Does their keeper just basically dribble the ball in their box then? Looks like it, doesn't it? <laughs> Looks like it. Um, they're not even particularly <laughs> interesting. I don't think I've seen anything like that before. No, I know we've seen some pretty lopsided graphics where, you know, one team really works yeah. one side of the, the pitch, but for St. Mirren to basically just say, if it's in our box, we're going to be kicking you. And if it's out with that, just pass it around is crazy. That's also, I mean, that's, you know, it's not like one of those graphics is where you see after three games, it's skewed. That's for a 36 game season. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. <laughs> um, they're not particularly high pressing either. Uh, PPDA of 14.4. Uh, that makes sense. The third least pressing side in the league. So I think you'll try and see them sit in, try to pick off chances on the counter from set plays. They will make it niggly though, an average of 13.1 fouls per match is the joint top number of fouls per match in the league alongside Motherwell. As things stand at the moment, Sunday evening, Saints can still have an outside chance, I think, of finishing in Europe if they can win their last two games of the season. They finish up like home Rangers. So they can still overhaul Hibs into fifth, which I think would be good enough for Europe if Celtic win the Scottish Cup. Um, but in all likelihood, I think it's probably fair to say they've probably missed their chance now. So, what do we think? Barry Robson seemed to be confident that Duke and Ross McCrory will be back for this one. Graham Shinney will return from his four-match suspension. We should be back to what you would effectively say is pretty much full strength. It's all on the line. Predictions, thoughts for Wednesday night under the lights at the pit. Well, I am delighted to be able to bring you the news that having seen this on his YouTube page that was um, recommended to me for some strange reason. I'm delighted to announce to both of you and the ABCFP source system that Tony Watt will not be playing at Pataudry. <laughs> well, will it dodged? So I'm this. The third place is gone. It's gone too close for my liking, for sure. And we've not performed very well in the last two games, especially. But I do take confidence in that Robson all but said that um, Duke and McCrory will be back for for this game, as well as Graham Shinney, of course. So all being well with um, Angus McDonald, I think we will probably put our strongest 11 on the pitch. The game with Sitmanen um, in January, I think, was a complete anomaly based on the circumstances of um, McCrory getting sent off after a few minutes. And, you know, we have a pretty makeshift team especially in defence, um, up against a team that, you know, had that man advantage and were able to use it to probably make themselves look a little bit better than they, they actually are. Um, having seen the highlights of them against Celtic on Saturday, I think they can be disappointed that they've not come up with a win. But I think you also need to recognise that Celtic are very much clearly on the beach. Um, you've got Postecoglou throwing out fringe players against Rangers. So that just kind of tells you where their mindset is uh Curtis I mean Curtis could have had five goals against Celtic which would have been something 
a turn up for the books, I think as they would call it. Um, I think that they're, you know, obviously a very physical team um, and they have, you know, dangerous players. Like O'Hara is pretty good, um, kind of making late runs into the box and, you know, jokes aside about his obsession with being the most hench footballer that's ever lived. I mean, there's something about Stephen Robinson that seems to work for Curtis Main. Um, so I think he'll probably provide a, a constant test for our defenders. But I I do believe that with you know what's on the line, like we need one more big performance. Um, these players have shown they do have it in them to to come up with that performance. And if we can just, you know, be positive, I'm pretty confident that we can actually beat Simmer. And I don't think for a second hearts are taking anything from my rocks. So That'll be it. Third place will be ours and we can start, you know, looking up our favourite European locations. Yeah, I don't think it would, despite having a wee laugh at that graphic that shows they they just like to keep a hold of the ball in their box and I know their away form, etc, etc. I can't imagine it's going to be easy, but we just have to find a way to get the points. I, I agree with Gavin. I, I doubt Hearts are going to pick up anything. So... You know, you might end up going to the last game of the season with, with still the same gap. But I know Celtic are cruising, but our record down there is disgusting. So we don't really want to be going into that game. Needing something Wednesday night is crucial, I think, to to finishing third in the season. So I think it'll be really difficult. But if we've got the players back that we're kind of hoping we're going to have back, I think we will have enough to get the job done. I don't think it'll be particularly pretty because it's not really been particularly pretty under Robson, which isn't me having a gripe, it's more just where I feel like we've been quite, generally speaking, solid and we do carry more of a threat when Duke's in the team uh, as a bit more of a flair player. So I reckon we will win, uh, but if we don't, then I'd be really quite nervous going into the last game of the season. If we go to Celtic Park needing a win, is it possible we can like get Andy Constein on loan for a game? <laughs> you were going to say that because I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> And Kenny yes. McLean's not up to anything right now, so... Yeah, see what they're up to. Yeah, with even with Celtic, you know, taking their foot off the gas, to say the very least, I don't want to be going there on the last day of the season needing something, so crucial game. So I think we're probably all agreed. I think we expect to see the likes of Duke hopefully back in, and I think we expect to see McCrory probably coming back in as well for this one now. Um, it's going to be a battle, isn't it? Let's be honest, that's what Simmons are going to do. So we need to we need to be willing to to, to step up to that, and I don't think that's going to be... A major issue for our team. That's certainly something that they're not lacking. I don't think Graham Shinney being back in will also be a massive boost from that perspective. Like said, so Dukemioski have been a little bit off. Uh, what's the word? I'm going to say off. They've not been quite as prolific in recent weeks. We think possibly Duke might be obviously maybe um, managing an injury possibly in the last few weeks. Dukemioski's not really had a sniff of goal since the Rangers home game. Um, it's going to be crucial though that we take chances. We need to be tight at set pieces. Clearly, something in our threat. Um, from an attacking perspective, they don't give a lot of goals away at set pieces either. So we're going to have to create through through open play, I think, um, which means big games you'd imagine for the likes of Leighton Clarks and Duke and Miofsky. Those three, and of course the the hounds of defence. Um, you know, when it comes to stopping Curtis Main and O'Hara and Declan Gallagher, I mean, you know, they, we kind of laugh and joke about it all, but you know, there's clearly a determination to do well against Aberdeen amongst a number of the Simmons and players. Um, perhaps because of comments from. Aberdeen associated pundits or Aberdeen fans or whatever it is. Gary. Uh, me. Uh they, they'll they'll come here desperate to to try and win and you know to to spoil 
spoil the season for us. Um, so they're going to make it very, very difficult. I don't doubt that for a second. Um, I think when it comes to Miofsky, I think I thought he did well in phases against Hearts, but you know, I think there's maybe a couple of instances where if he's just a bit more determined to get make a chance for himself rather than maybe engaging with defenders, then he'd probably have more opportunities. Um, and Duke, yeah, has been has been off the boil, but there are such key enormous players for us. But ultimately, you know, especially because of Miofsky, we need to be creating chances for them. And against Hibs, we didn't create anything for him. So it's going to all be able to supply. Leighton Clarkson's going to have, yeah, a massive game. And he'll need to be supported uh, by by Shinny and Ramadani. They're going to have to come up with some big performances to, to let him do what he can do. It could also be maybe a little bit more open than normal. Because uh, it depends how St. Mirren approach it. I mean, they may, well, you say they're probably not going to get Europe. But if there's a chance for them to finish fifth, that'll come with some pennies in the bank you know so they've still got something to shoot for so they might come up doing what I would expect them to do which is being basically let's just frustrate them and try and get a point or they might approach the game and think well we've got nothing to lose and everything to gain because if they could pick up the three points to get into the last game I guess finishing fifth versus six would make a bit of a difference to their transfer budget and if they did come up and try and take the game to us that might actually work in our favour if it's a little bit more open so I think it's going to be difficult either way, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, people might be saying, ah, they don't, they've got nothing to play for. But if I don't really think they'll be seeing it that way because there is still, is still the opportunity to finish a little bit higher up the table. Uh, but I think the Gavin says we just need to be solid, don't concede anything daft like we did at, uh, you know, the Shanklin goal on Saturday. And if we've got Duke back, uh, that would fill me with a bit more confidence as much as Milovsky's had a decent season I'm not really enjoying watching him too much at the moment Duke seems to carry more of a threat and if the ball comes into our box and Curtis Main takes it with like one with his thigh and sets up for a volley someone get close to him yes if we could avoid a repeat of the two goals he scored um, back in back in January that'd be that'd be much appreciated or February it might have been come on then boys predictions for Wednesday night do we get over the line on, on Wednesday I don't think it's going to be enjoyable. Um, I think it's going to be very, very tense. I think it's going to be 2-1 Aberdeen. We'll go 1-0 up. I was also going to say 2-1, pretty much as Gavin's going to describe. We'll go 1-0 we'll go up, Sitmiron will get a goal back through Bogic or something like that. And then uh, a winning goal from a winning goal from Duke. Sign off in style. I was there thinking excellent. 2-0 at halftime will be all over them. Brilliant will not turn up for the second half, concede 65 or 70 minutes, and then it will just be absolute squeaky bum time until, I don't know, the ninth minute of injury time when the final whistle goes. Well, there we go. I'm going to go uh, Aberdeen 3, St Mirren 1. I think we'll make it quite comfortable, actually. In a way, hearts will fall at Abrox, and it'll be done and dusted, and we can go and play Paddy Mislovich and Don McCandy and... Shaded Morris and Cal Roberts at Parkhead on Sunday because everyone else can disappear at the beach and we can start looking at uh, where we can be off to come this summer. Well, I was going to say, and then more importantly, yeah, we can try and figure out how the coefficients are going to play out where we might end up. Indeed, absolutely. All the fun of the f- all the fun of the circus at that point where we can get to work. Get the old out. permission slips looked out. It's been a few years since we've needed one of them. Indeed, it has. Indeed, it has. All right, chaps. I think Coladus for this evening. I would say so. The therapeutic. 
Indeed. Excellent. That wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever you do on your podcast player of choice. Join us late in the week for episode 106, where we'll review the game against him, and we'll then count down to the final game of the season against Celtic on Sunday. We look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!